Some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we looked at that parable not too long ago in our parable series, and I thought tonight would be a good time to be reminded of it, because Ash Wednesday is a night that encourages us to take on the posture of the tax collector in the parable, right? Where we say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says that that kind of attitude, that kind of humility, that there is something about that that is essential to a healthy relationship with God. And what I want to talk about tonight is one practical way that we can express that kind of humility that the tax collector had. And that's through the spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, Fasting is when we choose to give up something for a period of time, like food or social media or uh, soda or alcohol, coffee, uh, video games, fast food, something like that. And what I want to do tonight is just take a little bit of time to talk about why fasting can be a valuable discipline. And I want to offer some advice on how to uh, make the most of fasting this season of Lent. And I have to say, if you've been to an Ash Wednesday service at St. Paul's before, some of this may sound very familiar. Um, I'm not going to be reinventing the wheel here. Um, But... This only happens once a year, so we probably need a refresher. I know I do every year. So why would we fast? Why would we give up something for Lent? What's the point of that? Well, I want to begin by being very clear about something. You do not have to do this. Uh, You are free, free in Christ to either give up something or not give up something. Um, You are not going to incur God's wrath if you don't give something up over the next 40 days. Um, So please don't take this as coercive or anything like that. It's not meant to be. This is an invitation, okay? And it is an invitation to a discipline that people have practiced for centuries. And people have practiced it as a way of drawing nearer to God and as a way of expressing the kind of humility that the tax collector shows in that parable. So, let me give you two reasons to give up something for Lent. Again, invitation, not a demand. One, giving up something for Lent is a way of recognizing how much Jesus gave up for us. So, we believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth, gave up the privileges of divinity to take on humanity, Right, And then 
lived a human life, was betrayed, suffered and died a miserable death on a cross. Right? Jesus gave up everything more than anyone ever has. Uh, the Bible says that even though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he willingly made himself a servant. Okay. So, as we prepare for Easter over the next 40 days, giving something up is a way of honoring Jesus' sacrifice. Right? And every time you want that thing that you gave up, you can think, oh, well, Jesus gave up so much more. Right? And so it's a way to remember that throughout the season of Lent. So honoring and celebrating how much Jesus gave up for us. And then a second reason to give something up for Lent is because it's a way of expressing openness to God. That's a huge part of being a disciple of Jesus, right? Is being open to God. And, and what I mean by that is allowing God to affect the way that we live like in practical ways. Um, there's a term that you've probably heard before, practical atheism. And what that means is when somebody says they believe in God, but there's nothing about the way that they live their lives that indicates any kind of trust in God. There, you, you would never be able to look at that person and see any difference between them and somebody who doesn't believe in God. And the Bible is pretty clear that the kind of faith that just looks like practical atheism, just like making choices in life as if there is no God, isn't really a real faith at all. Uh, the Bible says, you know, you, you say that you believe that there is one God. Well, good, even the demons believe that. Um, faith is supposed to manifest itself in a way of life. Right? It's not just supposed to be about ideas that we hold in here, but it's about a way that we, we live and move in the world. Okay? So when we do something, like give up something for 40 days, when we do that, we're making a change in our lives for one reason only, which is to honor God. It's because of our faith in God. Right? And so in doing that, you are allowing your belief in God to manifest itself in a practical, real way. And you are opening yourself up, it's like practice, <laughs> for being guided by God more in the future, being open to him uh, in whatever way that he might want to lead you. So that's another way of thinking about it. There are more reasons, but those are the two I want to give you tonight. And um, I think at least one more reason will become evident as I talk about the next thing, which is, you might be asking, okay, well, what should I give up? What should I fast from? Um, I can't tell you what to fast from. That's between you and God. Uh, but I'll, I want to give you two guiding principles. Number one, what you give up should not be something that is inherently sinful. So you shouldn't be like, well, this Lent, I'm going to fast from illegal drug dealing or gossip or, you know, something like that, okay? Those are things that you should repent from. <laughs> uh, and if during this season of Lent you're feeling especially compelled to repent, go for it, okay? But 
fasting is willingly giving something up that is not inherently evil. Maybe it's something that's become too dominant in your life, okay? But it's something that presumably you could eventually come back to and it wouldn't be wrong. Um, you know, the thing that people most traditionally fast from is food. And of course, food is not sinful. <laughs> Eating food is not sinful. And if you fasted from it forever, then you would die. So. <clears throat> Um, it's what we fast from is supposed to be something that it would be appropriate to return to. Okay? So that's guiding principle number one. And then number two, try to fast from something that frees up some of your time or your money or both. And I think most of the possibilities I've thrown out there so far, they are things that do one or the other. Most things that you could think of open up some, some time or money. You know, if you, if you fast from social media, now you got more time, right? Fast from TV, now you've got more time. Uh, you give up soda or alcohol or whatever, you're, you're going to have more money. And what you want to do is you want to decide in advance, okay, with the time that I save or the money that I save, this is what I want to do with it. And a guiding question that I would encourage you to use is, how am I going to use my extra time slash money to help make Earth more like heaven? Just reflect on that. You know, you might use the extra time that you have to pray or to study the scriptures or to read a book that's going to strengthen your faith. Um, you could use the money to donate to... Ukrainian refugees, or to a missionary, um, or, or to, a, you know, to give a gift to someone that you think could really use that encouragement. Um, so I think you, could be, you might be surprised by how much you're able to do with 40 days worth of extra money or time. And uh, so... Apply that question and then think of it like an offering to God, whatever you do with it. And I encourage you to consider that if you do do this, if you practice this discipline, you may find God surprising you in some way. So let me give you a story, what happened to me last Lent. I decided that I was going to substantially reduce my social media time. I wasn't going to completely cut it out, but I was going to put some very strict limits on it. So I set my browser and my phone so that I could only be on Facebook for 15 minutes in any day. And so one day I posted something on Facebook. And it was something that was significant to me. It was, I don't, we don't need to get into the details, but anyway. I posted it, and somebody who I barely even knew, but one of my Facebook friends, somebody I hadn't even spoken to for years, posted something in response that was very accusatory, and it uh, set off my adrenaline, you know? Made me upset, pushed my buttons. And so immediately my brain started working on a response. So I'm sitting there and I'm typing, getting ready to defend my honor, 
And, uh, and then the screen goes green because my time limit is up. And so for the rest of the day, I had to sit there, you know, thinking this accusation has gone unresolved and everybody that scrolls by and sees it, you know, I, I, they, you know, they might side with him and I haven't had my say, you know. And, but I thought, well, that's okay. This is what I chose to do. So it's just the way it's going to have to be. And then the next day when I had another 15 minutes, if I remember correctly, I thought it's still not going to be enough time for me to really engage. And then what's going to happen after that, right? Is he's going to respond again? I'm not really going to have enough time. So what I did was I reached out to him. And even though we were never close, hadn't even, you know, been near each other for years, we decided, well, let's Zoom and talk it out. And so we Zoomed, you know, which is very different than a Facebook comments thread, right? We actually looked each other in the eye, and we had a really good conversation, and we prayed for each other. And I didn't tell him to do this, but afterwards he went back to that thread, and he wrote an apology, unprovoked. And that is what you call a Lenten miracle. Because <laughs> when does it ever happen that there's a Facebook comment disagreement that ends with apologies and everybody feeling good? Like, it doesn't happen. Um, and that would, I don't think that would have happened if I had not been fasting from social media, right? Because I... I'm not saying that I would have, like, you know, descended into some horrible flame war or anything like that, but I don't think we would have had the good feelings that we had at the end of that. And so you never know what's going to happen when you choose to honor God by giving something up, right? It's an opportunity for God to work. So, tradition has it that ashes are placed on your forehead at an Ash Wednesday service. And um, some of you may have never done that before. I hope you're comfortable coming forward to receive the ashes. Uh, but similar to communion, I will, I will stand over here and I'll invite you to line up as usual. And um, as you come forward, I will just... Uh, I will say, remember, from dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then I will put the ashes on your forehead. Now, why do we do this? Okay, well, ashes in the Bible are a symbol of repentance and mortality. Um, and, and like I said, uh, this time of year is all about remembering that you're a sinner and that you're going to die. So the ashes are a very appropriate symbol. But... The symbol is not all depressing. Uh, the ashes are put in the form of a cross. And the reason for that is because the cross is where Jesus had victory over the powers of sin and death. Right? So even as you are receiving a symbol that represents your sinfulness and your mortality, it is also pointing towards Easter, our hope of victory over those things.
So in a moment, uh, Leah and Andrea are going to start playing, and uh, I invite you to come forward. <laughs> 